When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Political Party and another live special recorded at the Garrick Theatre with the fantastic Saida Varsi. And while I'm talking about the West End, I'm back there on Wednesday, the 2nd of June, which should be tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this, with Esther McVeigh and Jess Phillips. I cannot wait. There's about three tickets left and you can get them on the link, mattford.com slash live or the link that you can click on in the blurb in the show notes on whatever device you're listening to now. Don't forget, you can email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. People get in touch with all sorts of things, feedback, ideas, guest suggestions. But, of course, it's always great to hear about unusual places that you've seen politicians. Jamie from South London says, on a family holiday in 2007 in Corfu, we bumped into Ken Livingston at a water park floating down the lazy river. Um, Jamie doesn't say whether (laughs) Ken Livingston was on any sort of raft or whether he was just on his back or indeed face down floating down the river. Jamie, I feel like that story needs a lot more detail. So do get in touch, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. Do leave a review as well, please, on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this. If you can leave a star rating or a written review, I know that's admin, but come on. If you're going to be listening to this for the next hour or so, you can just do it while you're listening. Fair play and full marks to Jeff, who left a review. Five stars. Thank you so much, Jeff. And the title of it is Lovely Stuff. And then he says, not my words, the words of Shaking Stevens, which, of course, is an Alan Partridge reference. If you would like to leave Alan Partridge references in your review, you're more than welcome to. Or indeed, if you think you've heard Shaking Stevens or any other retro pop star refer to this podcast as lovely stuff or anything else, that may just be a coincidence. Maybe Jeff has heard Shaking Stevens Describe the political party as lovely stuff. I think it's more likely, I'm now sounding like Alan Partridge, I think it's more likely that Jeff is making a light-hearted reference to a well-known comedy trope. Um, so thank you for that, Jeff. Now, on to Saeed Avasi. Saeed has been on the show before. Always delivers. They should call her the postwoman because she always delivers. Was fantastic on the Christmas special and is as forthright, funny, clear and charismatic as she always is. Um, she had the audience eating out the palm of her hand from the outset. She's always fantastic. Enjoy the brilliant side of Arcee. Saida, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, so, you're, uh, uh, did anyone see Saida on Stand Up to Cancer? Yes. yes. Absolutely superb and a real natural. So, um, have you got any tips? Um, well, you've got to change your Anasawa. You sound like Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but other than that, I thought that was a brilliant kind of uh, routine. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, 
Is that what I was supposed to say when I yeah, came yeah, yeah. on? All right, okay. Well, I'm going to go further if you'd like to. Kind of I tell you what's really great about stand-up, though, and I, you know, I've just been listening to you say it on here, is that all the shit you can't say in politics, you can say in stand-up. All the stuff you wanted to say about your colleagues and you dare not say in the House of Commons or the House of Lords, you could just get on a stage and say, "Yeah, it's a joke." Great. You know, so you where should we start? <laughs> Who wins? Who's getting it first? Cameron. That feels like an easy first target. And David's having a hard time. <laughs> Not financially. <laughs> How did you feel seeing him? It was that video link. Right, did anyone see the, the evidence he gave to the select committee where the chair of the committee is going, um, now, you did promise us three hours, you've only given us two and a half. Well, I, you know, I'll answer all the questions and we'll deal with that. And he's going, yes, but can we, can we just say that if we do need a bit more time, well, look, let's see how we get on. And, and we'll get on. He goes, no, 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 I, I'm going to have to insist. If we run out of time, will you come back? I, I think we can come to some. And then he just forced her, he goes, will you? Yes. <laughs> she just said at the start, I'll give you as long as you need, I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> how did it feel? Because you, you knew him pretty well, you served in his cabinet. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, um, it, it's, it's never nice watching, you know, any of your colleagues going through that very publicly um but then you know this is part of the problem with our kind of politics where uh, you know my dad's got this i'm sure it's completely racist but my dad's got this completely terrible kind of statement where he talks about you know i go on about corruption around the world and in different states around the world and he always turns out he says yes but the difference between you and us i don't know who us is and who you is but anyway he clearly thinks he's from somewhere else he's been here since 1962 um so, so the difference between you and us is that we bribe them in office you bribe them after <laughs> And so you kind of think, well, it's, it's really difficult for politicians because if you haven't got a real job to go back to, which, and I say this to a lot of young people who are coming into politics, get yourself a proper job, a real life that you can go back to because politics does finish. And, you know, I remember in 2014 when I left government, you know, and dad literally rang me in the middle of the day and he said, right, you know, I've, um, I've cleaned down your office and you're back in the factory. And it was just that great feeling, and it was probably the best thing he could have said to me because it was that great feeling of being able to say, right, I can just go back and do a normal job. But if you don't have a normal job to go to, that's when politicians get into all of this. I mean, look at Tony Blair. I mean, it's like ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you like him, don't you? Well... You like him. You've got a thing for Tony Blair, haven't you? I think, you? to be honest, you know what? I, I think you've got a thing for Tony Blair. Can, can I just... I'll be honest with you, and I'm being completely impartial. Your voice goes slightly squeaky when you talk about it. <laughs> I think I'm completely impartial about our greatest ever Prime Minister. I'm just like, yeah, look, I... Come on, cider. How could... Who, who, You're going red, Max. <laughs> Well, it's warm in here, isn't it? It's, uh... <laughs> yeah, but he is. He, talent's a bloke, isn't he? You can see why, you know, he, he appeals. God, what with that... Not with that haircut. Did you see that hair... Not that haircut not being cut. It looked terrible. It did. Um, it looked like an ageing rocker, didn't he? And you kind of think, get that haircut. Um, so, just on stand-up, by the way, because... Okay, I, I know sorry. We sort of joked about... Yeah, exactly. Just getting off this tiny bit. Uh, <laughs> Just, and I will, I'm happy to return to Tony Blair at any point. I'm happy to come back to those questions whenever you've forgotten about them. Um, but just on, it's on interesting standard. how we move from David to Tony, isn't it? 
as a country or as, uh, <laughs> as guests? Um, because you were so good at the stand-up, and you, that needs to be said. I mean, obviously, anyone who saw it will know. You were by far the most natural of all the celebrities they had on there. You were just so good at it. And obviously, I knew you were really funny. You'd been on the show before, and, and I had so many emails about you the first time you came on. You were just, you didn't seem to have any fear at all. Thank you. No, I, I think it was, um, it was scary. Uh, and and the, the biggest thing I was scared about was when I'm not being in public life, I can be quite relaxed and I can use language which my dad wouldn't approve of. And so I just had this awful, all I could hear was, daddy's going to watch this and he's going to kill me for using bad language. And, and language and kind of loose language and bad language almost is kind of part and parcel of stand up. So I was just, um, yeah, I was, I was really worried that, uh, you know, this, this could have been a huge mistake. And then obviously my mentor, Nick Helm, decided he couldn't stand me and he didn't want to mentor me. And I was exactly the person he didn't want. And I really didn't want him either. I wanted Jason Manford to be fair. I mean, who wouldn't? Um, so, I think you got so a bit didn't... of a thing for Jason Manford, haven't you? <laughs> a huge thing for Jason Manford. How can you not have a thing for Jason Manford? Um, and so I think it was, it was, it was a rocky start. Um, and then I think, um, uh, you know, the, it was for a great cause and I kind of kept saying that. And then obviously the competitive side kicked in and I thought, well, I want to bloody win this. But has it made you want to do stand-up or like a, a, a tour of some sort? An evening with Saeed Avasi? Perhaps hosted by, you know, one of the voices of spitting image. <laughs> I think it's. I think there's some real freedom that came from doing that program. A number for a number of reasons. I mean, one because I think I said they didn't run the whole sketch, so the sketch was very, very political. But I just felt a real sense of freedom of being able to say the things I wanted to say. And you know, one of the big. So you know, the first joke I was telling when I got up was about saying, look, I'm, I'm glad you, I bet you're all pleased you turned up today. Did they tell you that I was on an ISIS kill list? And, which I was, by the way. Um, and so, so you, you know, yeah, so if it goes boom, just kind of hit your seats. Um, so, and, um, and, you know, and, and the thing is, I was on an ISIS kill list for many years. And, and just to be able to go on stage and to talk about it, and at the end of it, kind of say, you know, I'm sure that's increased me a couple of notches on the ISIS skill list. I'm a bothered. I'm a fuck. They need to... <laughs> and I, I mean, number of times... You know, the number of times I wanted to say that. And I think just to be able to say, you know, I'm a bothered. I'm a fuck. Because they need to know, ISIS need to know, that I'm the Baroness bitches. <laughs> and I think just that moment of being able to say... I mean, you know, to be able to say to ISIS, I'm the Baroness bitches. You know, I just think I would never be able to say that in the House of Lords or the House of Commons. So <laughs> I think the kind of... The freedom that came with being on that stage. And then, you know, look, I hit 50 this year. And, uh, yeah, and so I, I kind of thought, and COVID, and, you know, I presume over 50% of my life is now over, and I'm on the ground of the other side. Um, and I thought, why not? Why not do all the things that I've really put off doing? Because life can just take all sorts of interesting turns. And this last year has taught me that you just got to grab things and, and, and have fun rather than be so cautious all the time, which is, I was in, which is what I was like in the past. So you said you were on an ISIS kill list. So since that, are they now fans of your stand-up? And they've... Actually, you can't kill her. She's brilliant. I love her. That material about being a baroness is great. Get her off that kill list. Yeah, I, I don't know. They might even call me for their kind of edict or something. You know, book her, book her. She's dead funny. 
<laughs> Might be going out to Raqqa for Eid. <laughs> so, are you going to do more stuff like that then? Because it's not... Reality telly is not the right thing. It's more like sort of celebrity challenge telly, isn't it? It's like a slightly yeah. different genre. Would you, are we, we going to see you on things like Strictly? Oh, they've asked me to do Strictly. Uh, but I, 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 I said no, it's not. I, I think anything entertainment which has got a purpose and has got some kind of political tinge to it or some kind of learning to it, which is something that I would find fun and I think other people would find interesting and entertaining fine. But I think entertainment per se is, is just, you know, I, you know, I'm not an entertainer. I still have, you know, a serious job to go back to. I mean, this last week, you know, as we've watched what's happened in the Middle East, um, you know, I was in the House of Lords doing, um, you know, taking the government to task on our policy on, on Israel and Palestine. And I still have to be able to go back and do those interventions and, and you know, people not thinking, oh, is she the one that wore a sequin dress? You know, I want to be able to have that kind of gravitas still to be able to come back and do that. So that rules out strictly. That rules out strictly. Does it rule out the jungle? It rules out the jungle. Um, what other things are there? Oh, you could do Bake Off and stuff like that would be good. I could do. I can't bake very well. That's the point, isn't it? It's kind of like that's part of the charm. So what ones would you like to do? If I could wave a magic wand and I could do any programme, it would have to be location, location, location. I want Kirsty's job. <laughs> I want to be Kirsty. That's what I want to be. When I grow up, I want to be Kirsty. But you're better than Kirsty. She's great, though, isn't she? And the best thing I love about her is that when she travels first class, she, kids, she sticks the kids in economy. I just think it's brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> It's not that scene in Bridesmaids, but with her family. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I said to the kids, you know, Kirsty's now my heroine and you are going to sit in economy all the time forever. But she wouldn't do that on a train, surely? I think you should do it on a train as well. I think the kids should have to earn their place in uh, anything more than economy. <laughs> <laughs> Sounding quite vengeful now. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we've got five kids. They're, they are amazing. And we've got four lovely grandkids as well now. We had an, another grandkid in, in lockdown. Um, and grandkids are amazing. They are the ultimate revenge on your kids. You know, you can... All the stuff that... You know, all that stuff that your kids said, yeah, chill out, stop being so awkward, take life easy. It's great. You get the grandkids, you know, you kind of teach them all the bad stuff, teach them how to sit their tongue out, use language that you never let your kids use, fill them up with sugar, and then hand them back and let them have a meltdown and say, oh, chill out, take it easy, stop being so uptight. They are the ultimate revenge on the kids. I'm loving it. I can't believe you've got grandkids. Yeah, four, four amazing grandkids. But, I mean, I can't believe you're 50. Like, what's the secret? Um, really good working class upbringing, I think. Um, you know, you kind of... Uh, you, just, you just don't have the money to go to beauty clinics and pick and prod yourself and inject yourself. And because you never have the money to do any of that rubbish stuff, actually, you just have to rely upon keeping your face clean and washing it every night, because that's the best you're going to be able to afford. And clearly, soap and water and, um, you know, Nivea works. Yeah, I should try that, washing my face. Sometimes. And also, I think there is, a, there is an advantage to skin with more pigmentation. I mean, brown don't frown, does it, really? <laughs> <laughs> so, the other thing... I'm going to get done for saying this stuff, I know. Oh, no, you're fine. Um, <laughs> 
so, d and I saw a news story about you recently, and it's awkward to bring it up, but it was, in, it was on the Daily Mail online, so it must be true. <laughs> was, um, and it's visible, you've lost a lot of weight. Yeah. And you were talking Are you saying to me I used to be fat? <laughs> Proper fat. But it's better that way round. It's better than me going, can I just say, you put on a lot of weight. <laughs> I lost a lot of weight. I put a little bit back on again, and I'm trying to, to go back the other way. Um, but I, I mean, you know, some of the women in the audience might recognise this, but at 50, just when you guys are having your kind of midlife crisis and thinking, you, you know, you fancy somebody younger, we are firing on all cylinders, and then we're hit by this truck called menopause. Uh, and it completely changes your life. I mean, you go from being the best version of yourself, knowing who you are, probably doing amazingly well in your career, and it literally is like being hit with by a truck. Um, and physically, mentally, every aspect of your life changes. And I just thought, I'm not gonna, you know, I, my Instagram reads fighting injustice and menopause. I actually think menopause is an injustice. I mean, what the fuck is the point of menopause? <laughs> you know, I get periods. I get, you know, kind of birthing kids. Okay, we're kind of, what did we need menopause for? Just at that moment when, you know, periods are over and you should be saying, yay, I don't have to worry about that shit anymore. You're suddenly having to deal with hot flushes, head fog, mood, a whole lot kind of just hits you. So I thought I'm going to fight menopause. Still fighting menopause. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess talking about it in the Daily Mail, I wondered if that was a deliberate thing, if you're trying to, you know, talk about it for, for other people or whether... No, they just like, rang you up? No, Jordy just Jordy Greg rang me up and he just said, Oh, I heard you lost a lot of weight. Will you do a piece? And I went, Okay. It was that simple, really. Simple yeah. A, a, a real contrast to the Prime Minister, obviously, who's getting all this luscious food bikes in. I know. Um, his takeaways. I know. 27 grand in eight months feels like a lot of money on takeaway. Did he actually pay for it? Well, that's the other problem is. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. I mean, I'd have 27 grand's worth of takeaways if I didn't have to pay for it. Yeah, that's the point. If he's got it for free, good on it. Yeah. I'm from Yorkshire. If it's free, I'm having it. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs> I think the accusation is that it's been paid for in kind and he hasn't actually had to put his hand in his pocket. What's he giving? Whoever's giving him it? Well, the food. No, but how is he paying for it in kind? Oh, yeah, that's the point. Um, <laughs> What's he giving back? Well, I'm not sure. An empty box. <laughs> I don't know, actually. Does anyone know? I've only researched the funny part of the story. All right, okay. It's a classic failing of mine. Um, now, you mentioned the Middle East, and obviously this is, the Middle East is always topical. It's particularly topical at the moment with what's happening. You resigned from David Cameron's government over that government's policy on Gaza. Do you think Boris Johnson's government uh, is in a better place than David Cameron's government is? It's far worse. Um, and, you know, as I said in the House of Lords last week, I'm not saying to the government or any government or opposition, you know, this is what we should be say, doing. What I keep saying is this is our policy, two-state solution, but we only recognise one. This is our policy. Settlements are illegal, but we do absolutely nothing when settlements are built. This is our policy. We believe in international accountability and we fund the International Criminal, Co Criminal Court, but we don't want Palestine to take their case to the International Criminal Court. There's this huge gap between what our policy is, what we say, and what we do. And that, in my book, is hypocrisy. 
And either we've got to have the confidence to be able to say, you know what, Palestinians, we don't give a shit. We just talk about this rubbish. We don't, you don't really matter to us. And we've got this policy and we've no intention of ever implementing it. And then at least they know where they stand. But don't talk a good talk without any intention of ever doing anything about it. And it's because we have this policy of effectively no action ever follows bad action by an increasing right-wing Israeli government. You know, I have great friends within um, the Jewish community who are appalled at the rise of the far right in, in, in Israel. And because we don't do anything to tell the Israeli government you're wrong, we're just giving him the green light to behave increasingly more badly on, a, you know, on these issues. Um, and, it, and so, you know, I kind of said something needs to be done about it. What? You're quite, quite rare in conservative circles for saying those sorts of things. Why do you think that is? Um, I think there's a lot of... The, I mean, there were a lot of very good people in the Conservative Party, you know, and, and there's a lot of us that have... <laughs> Past tense. <laughs> that sounded really odd. But, look, I mean, look, look at the cabinet that I sat in, right? Who sat around that table? Dominic Grieve. Ken Clark, mm. Justin Greening, David Willits. I mean, these were huge thinkers. You know, what I call genuine center ground, compassionate conservatives. Um, and yet that's, you know, it's a strand of the conservative party, which increasingly I think we've, we've lost. Um, just like, you know, I think Labour's got its issues. We, we need to find that compassionate center ground politics, which I think lots of people are, are, are looking out for. So when you look at the current cabinet, and instead of Dominic Grieve, it's Dominic Raab. <laughs> How do you feel about that? And William, you know, William Hague was foreign seg. I worked, you know, with William Hague. Mm. Even if you disagreed with him, yeah. he was such a great, clever thinker. Yeah. You know, he, and, and so I just, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's a different kind of... Uh... I either, I always... <laughs> Felt very fondly <laughs> towards you as well. Well, his face would stay rictus even when he was often being very expressive with his voice. His face would not move. And... It was Thank such you. a joy to be around. I mean, compare that to Dominic Raab. It's like chalk and cheese, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's the, the, the Cameron, I, I guess as well, because it was coalition with the Liberal Democrats. Exactly. Well, if you think of Nick Clegg, like he's a a big figure, talented, so it was, it was recruiting, that coalition recruited the best from two parties, this government has recruited the worst from one side of the Tory party, Shit. plus Matt Hancock. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a load of Brexiteers yeah. and Hancock's hostage. Yeah. And the coalition, you know, <laughs> and the coalition, the coalition worked, you know, I think we made the Lib Dems more realistic and they made us nicer and I genuinely say that I think there was that you know that kind of interplay between the coalition genuinely worked um, yeah but you know it seems like a different world 2010 to where we are now when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at bluenile.com you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you look at Boris Johnson's Conservative Party now then, could you vote for it? Do you vote for it? I, can't, I don't have a vote in the general election. Oh, what a get-out. Exactly. <laughs> Three lots of people don't have votes, you know that. Members of the House of Lords, criminals, and the mentally insane. <laughs> it's true. I think Geoffrey Archer ticks all three boxes. <laughs> friend of the show, friend of the show. That's <laughs> <laughs> our people in all those three groups. But um, I was going to ask you about your back door because, not literally. <laughs> Batley and Spent is, is another by-election where the pressure's yeah. going to be on the... It's Labour held, but there's going to be pressure on the Labour leader to hold a safe seat 11 years after last winning, a, you know, even longer after leaving office. What do you think is going to happen in Batley and Spen? You, you're from Dewsbury, it's just around the corner. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be... Um, I think it's going to be a nasty election, um, if for no other reason but George Galloway has decided to throw his hat in the ring. <gasps> Um, and I think, you know, he'll just, he'll just kind of muddy the water there. Um, it's also, obviously, Joe Cox's old seat. Joe's sister, Kim, has now been selected as the Labour candidate. Um, and so it could be a really positive, uniting campaign. Um, we've selected a local councillor. Um, but on the doorstep, people, you know, people genuinely... As a Conservative, I want Labour to get its act together because we need a healthy opposition. But, and, and the number of times I stand up on our own backbenchers, effectively doing the opposition's job for them because they're not bloody doing their job, I, I just think, what is it that they stand for? What, what, how are they different? They can't out-Tory the Tories, which is what I think Keir's trying to do at the moment. That is not going to work. You're never going to get more Tory than the Tories. And what Blair did was a different time, a different era at the end of a kind of dying Conservative government. Um, and so I, I think my, my kind of biggest concern is what does Labour stand for? When is it going to get its act together? When is it going to start behaving like an official opposition? And when is it going to give us a challenge so that we don't put on the shit show that we're putting on at the moment and we raise our game? Do you rate Boris Johnson as a Prime Minister? You know, Boris is interested... I, I, <laughs> Very long way of saying no. No, no. <laughs> no, I, I like Boris as a person. I've known him for a very, very long time. But, you know, the, what's interesting for me is, I mean, it's, 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 it's the cult of, you know, it's the cult of the white man, isn't it? I mean, the fact that, you know, people like Trump can wake up one day and be as incompetent and as rubbish as that and say, oh, I think I want to be president of the United States. You know, I think... Boris wants to be prime, wanted, has wanted to be Prime Minister forever. I'm not sure he's particularly enjoying it. He's now done it. And, you know, I think once he's got it out of his system, I'm sure he's going to just move on to doing what he really wants to do. Um, 
And, I, you know, I, I think what's interesting is, and, you know, if you look at this as pure politics, he has won elections a decade after a Tory government which had huge issues around austerity, made some terrible decisions, and, you know, with all the kind of fallout of Brexit, they win Hartlepool. We win Hartlepool. I mean, something, he's doing something right, and so, you know, as a politician, if he's winning elections, you can't fault him. It's tricky because he's very popular, isn't he? And Labour have to be careful in how they handle him because there is a level of appeal that he personally has and you can make all these other excuses about things. I mean, I guess it's... I think he, he carries the party and he carries Cabinet. I think people vote for Boris. I know people vote for Boris when they don't even know what Boris or the Conservative Party necessarily stand for. They just like... And he does have that amazing ability, you know, when, when people meet him, to make people feel at ease and comfortable and wanted and listened to. And does he have that effect on you? Well, blonde's not my type. <laughs> <laughs> but it's... Has he, have you spoken to him since he became Prime Minister? Yeah, I mean, and the other thing is, he does actually stay in touch with people. So you can, you know, you can text... I, I, you know, I can... You can text Boris. <laughs> you can text Boris and he will always come back to you. One can text Boris and he will always come back to you. And, you know, a lot of people could just turn around and say, well, you know, I, I hear Labour colleagues who say... We can't get anything back from the leader's office. You know, you can't get hold of Keir. You can't get anything back from him. You can't get an answer. And he's leader of the opposition. Well, him as prime minister, you can get in touch with him, and he'll come back to you. And this it, it says a lot about the way he does reach out to people. It, it says he's approachable, or, he or it says that it really should be working and not <laughs> texting and WhatsApp inside of RC and everyone else. But you know, if it's if it's to do with work. Which you know, which it is. Um, then, just to be clear, just to be clear, um, then the fact that he, you know, you can contact him. I mean, we were talking to him about um, an event around Eid, um, and you know, couldn't get through to number ten. Got in touch with him. He says, "Look, speak to so and so." You know, so he does make things move within government, um, and and I think that that in itself is, you know, is 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 quite, you know, quite a unique kind of. Uh, personality trait to have. You know, the fact that he does make time for so many people, even though he's got this crazy job. And David was a bit like that as well. You know, so I think there is something about Labour leaders not being accessible and approachable. And whether that was, you know, Corbyn or whether that's Keir. And when you can't get your own side to believe in you, how are you going to get the country to believe in you? Oh, one person was going to applaud that. <laughs> Clearly a Labour audience. <laughs> so you wanted Boris for an event around Eid. Yeah. I mean, how did he do it? And if so, how did it go? Uh, he did another event around Eid. Um, but, uh, but Kia, I mean, Kia did this particular one, but in the end, Boris couldn't do it. The timeframes didn't work for him. Because people have concerns about Boris, things he said about various minority communities, about women, about gay people in the past. I mean... Have you seen him interact with minority communities and does it always go badly? <laughs> <laughs> he, 
It doesn't, you know, interestingly. Um, and I also think that it's, you know, there's, there's Bo- the Boris who used to write, you know, crappy things in columns. And then there's Boris the Prime Minister. And as far as I'm concerned, he's now Prime Minister. And as Prime Minister, he has a responsibility to govern for the whole of the United Kingdom, including communities that he said crappy things about in the past. I'm not, you know, you can't just let him off and say, well, you know, let's not engage with him. I think it's, his, it's important for him to step up and... and and engage with these communities. And to be fair, he's having all this food delivered at night. Maybe he's observing Ramadan. I never thought about that. Well, there are rumours, aren't there, about his Turkish origins. Maybe it's like, you know, you know, like in the Tory party, there were lots of uh, MPs who were gay but would make lots of homophobic comments because it was a cover. Maybe Boris is a closet Muslim. And maybe that's why he has to say all this stuff about Muslims so that his cover's not blown. <laughs> Eats a load of food late at night. Exactly. Says nasty things about Muslims to try and convince people that he's not. Exactly. Potential Turkish heritage. Potential Turkish heritage. On his fourth wife. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. There's a sketch in that, isn't there? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. You may well see it in series two of Spitting Image in a few weeks. I'll pitch that in the team meeting in a couple of weeks. Um, so, do, how do you feel he's done with COVID and stuff like that then? Because obviously, it seems that electorally he's been rewarded for, um, amongst other things, the vaccine, to be fair, has gone well, and that seems to have. Shall I tell you what I think he's been electorally um, rewarded for? And there are two men, actually, I think, in Cabinet who we can hold, um, you know, who can get the credit for this. One is that when the country turned and most people were were panicking about where their next paycheck was going to come from, Rishi Sunak made sure that everybody, you know, tried his best to make sure that most people got a paycheck. And I think the furlough scheme, the support for businesses, the support for traders, you know... Everything was done to try and get that support out far and wide. And I've, you know, been, I've uh, listened to hardcore Labour supporters who said, well, they were there for me, weren't they, when, they, when I needed them. The second person is Nadim Zahawi. The way in which he has rolled out that vaccine, he's brought all his private sector experience to it, but in a way where it was delivered through the NHS, people weren't making, you know, mates' mates weren't making money off the back of contracts, but actually through the NHS, it was rolled out across the country. I think those two things, when people felt really vulnerable about their bills and people felt really vulnerable about their health, the government delivered on both of those. And I think in the end, ultimately, people aren't bothered about ideology. They're worried about how it affects their life. And in, the, you know, in a very, very difficult year, in, their lives were made easy by this government. Um, on your stand-up to cancer routine, you talked about the, the joys of furlough. As you put it, we've been turned into state-sponsored fat bastards. <laughs> I've been able to sit at home, not worry about our wages and eats. Uh, is that a soundbite you've suggested to Rishi? Because uh, <laughs> I haven't seen him use Listen. that. Listen, you states, don't sponsor fat bastards. No, I mean, it, I think it, we were talking about the, um, you know, what, what COVID meant and how it, you know, what it meant for people. And, you know, we've, we've lost so many people, certainly within BAME communities. I don't think there's a BAME family who, you know, from those communities who, who doesn't know somebody who they've lost, who's lost their life during um, COVID. But I also think that, you know, sometimes some of the most kind of interesting humour is, is quite dark when it comes out of, you know, these difficult times. 
Um, but the bit that they didn't show on stand-up was my whole kind of Game of Thrones sketch around government and Game of Thrones. And I was just like, where is that sketch? I need to see it, you know. But the- well, for the first time ever, tonight, live at the Garrick. <laughs> it is. And, and there was this whole thing about what does, you know, what is the kind of similarity between Game of Thrones and Parliament? And I said, you know... No one it- watches it? <laughs> Overeating, excessive drinking, sleeping around. I mean, it's just like, it's an all in the quest for ultimate power, you know, in the realm. And so I was kind of drawing comparisons between who we know today and, and Game of Thrones characters. So, you know, we've got the King of the North and his luscious lashes, Andy Burnham. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we've got... Uh, Sounds like an order he might give, Andy. Burnham. Andy Burnham, King of the North. Can you imagine saying that? Yeah. yeah, and then we had Nicola Yara Greyjoy, the Iron Maiden from the First Islands, who led a rebellion against the capital, and we've never forgiven it. Um, but the best one for me was our very, I don't know if you've got Game of Thrones fans in here, but our very own Littlefinger, the Prince of Dark Hearts, the Bastard of Bernard Castle. <laughs> Dominic Cummings. Um, and so, yeah, I just think it's this kind of... There's so much overlap between, between um, you know, kind of Game of Thrones and today's politics. But Game of Thrones, I mean, I haven't watched any of it. I've seen clips. It seems to be very sexual and quite good-looking people like Sean Bean being such kind of rugged. Whereas, you know, it doesn't quite work with Matt Hancock. <laughs> Matt Hancock wasn't one of the characters. <laughs> He'd have been killed in episode one, wouldn't he? He would have <laughs> What's he like? Did you ever work with Matt Hancock? Matt is actually quite a nice... I mean, he's really rabbit-caught in headlights, isn't he? Yeah. You can see that. And he is kind of hostage in all of this. And, and I genuinely think he's, um, you know, he's trying his best. And he's... <laughs> Leave him alone. He's trying he's his best. He's doing his best. He's been on the show. Friend of the show, Matt Hancock. Friend of the show. Um, <laughs> And what of Rishi Sunak then? Do you because th- he was definitely when furlough happened, and I totally agree. Watching that press conference felt very emotional. Yeah. And it was incredible. You know, it, it, it's not inconceivable that we could have watched that and that helped not come. Yeah. In quite the same way, and for people to be just panicking. Now, lots of people still are panicking about their livelihoods and the help for the self-employed and all the rest of it. But as a big announcement, it was a real holy shit moment you go, yeah. oh my God, the Tories are going to pay our wages. Yeah. It's massive. And just the relief. You could almost feel, watching that, I thought, people are going to feel emotional. Yeah. Now, in time, obviously, you move on to worrying about whether your loved ones are going to live or die and whether you mm. are and all those sorts of things. But I think you're right. I think that and the vaccine, it's really hard to see beyond those as the two big moments yeah. um, in the last year. But people will say they took decisions, they behaved in a way that mm. jeopardised lives mm. alongside that. And maybe if we did have a more functioning opposition, they might have been held to account for. Hmm. I mean, even just at the start where they're still shaking hands with each other and their podiums are yeah. two metres apart. It does feel a bit odd that, even as someone who kind of agrees with what you're saying, Boris has been rewarded for being a great communicator when he sort of contradicted himself so often throughout the whole thing. And, and I think that's part of the kind of, you know, the interesting phenomena around people like him and Trump, that nothing stakes. And that, you know, we have to, as, as people who are involved in politics, think about why that is. I mean, it's, it's, it's an absolute, you know, gift for politicians, um, you know, to, to be able to, to do that and just, you know, take the, he's taking all the gains, but none of the downsides. I mean, if you think about the run-up to Hartlepool, all that rubbish that was going on in the press, none of it touched him in Hartlepool. You know, and, and they won a by-election, what, 11, 12 years after 
taking power. It is, you know, when we look back on this as a political period, people will be flabbergasted that this was happening. So, I've got Keir Starmer on the show tomorrow night. Not sure if I've mentioned it. Um, Keith, they call him, apparently. What? He's what? Keith, they call him, don't they? Yes. In WhatsApp groups. Yeah, I don't know if people are aware of this, but in order to mock Keir... On social media, I think um, people perhaps more loyal to the previous leader, Jeremy oh, Corbyn. Oh, All right, okay. Well, I think my theory on it is Keith is uh, like almost like Nigel, isn't it? It's like, oh, hi, Keith. Uh, yeah. Oh, Nigel, why need Is there anybody called Keith in the audience? Because you might just rubbish somebody now, you know that. Yes. Now, what I was about to say was that is other people's <laughs> opinion. We're not Keithist. And No, 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 on absolutely. This stage. If you are a Keith, I hope you weren't triggered. I know that. Uh, <laughs> Particularly if you work for ISIS, because then... Uh, Could go wrong. Last people you want to trigger. Exactly. Jesus Christ. Exactly. Um, I think my theory on it is, Keir is obviously named after Keir Hardy, the first yeah. leader of the Labour Party, and I think they don't like the fact that this modern leader has this kind of cool thing about Labour history as part of his name, so they want to want to de Labour. Maybe it just sounds like Keith. Maybe I've overthought this. Well, he sold out. Keith sold out. We didn't sell out. I didn't sell out. I'm going to give myself an alter ego called Keith. So we sell out the Garrick. So what should, I, what should I say to him tomorrow night then? If I said to him, like, I talked to Saeed Avasi last night. This is how you campaign against Boris Johnson. You need to say to him, you're going to lose badly unless you get your act together and start telling people what you stand for and start behaving like an opposition. And to behave like an opposition, you have to do that thing called oppose and should really should I start with that or leave that to no, you? No, probably not. <laughs> you could anyway, say. good to see you, Keir. <laughs> but, I mean, the de- Jeremy Corbyn opposed. I mean, he literally opposed everything that the Tories did and it didn't seem to work. So, in, I, and I get that Keir Starmer is a more competent individual and all the rest of it, but just opposing, is it as simple as that? Is there more to it? Uh, do you feel, as a Conservative... Now, obviously, a lot of people are surprised when you're a Conservative even though they shouldn't be. But there's something in that, isn't there, that's playing out now, is that some people think, oh, well, these sorts of people are Tories, and these sorts of people are Labour, and actually that's never been the case. No. And that played out under Thatcher, it's playing out now. Um, so how does Labour get back, or, or even in the first place, appeal to people like you? So even though Boris is from a privileged background and doesn't really live, you know, kind of an average or a normal life or whatever you want to call that, he still seems to appear as if he's in touch with real people. Large sections of the Labour Party simply don't appear like that. They, they do sound like they're sneery and they're kind of dismissive and, and don't see certain people as being... Uh, the right kind of, you know, kind of labour. So I, I just think he's got to... It doesn't, it, this, it doesn't come across as sincere at the moment. There isn't that sense of we genuinely care. It all feels very showy, and I do think he's making a huge mistake with his reality TV stuff. It doesn't work. I mean, we tried that... You just we, want him off your turf. We try, <laughs> yeah, I don't want the competition. Right. Um, bloody white men always wanting to take jobs that you want, you've got. Uh, but it's... Um, you know, it's. I, I, I think it's. We tried it with William Hague. It didn't work. Yeah. People don't win elections in by you know doing a kind of reality TV show, and it it just it just smells a little bit desperate. And I just think that it's he just 
he's just going to get back to being leader of the opposition, reaching out to his own party, making sure that he's engaged with the broadest part of his own party and laying out very clearly what it is they stand for. And, I mean, look, the biggest thing they should have been taking the government to account for, which I've stood in, in, in Parliament and, and challenged the government on, is the contracts that were given out during the COVID period. There is so many questions left unanswered about who was given, who were given the contracts, why they were given them, what they were given them for, what we actually bought, where did we use it, was it even used? You know, this this is a huge scandal. Yeah, it, I mean, this is taxpayers' money at a time when we, of course, we spent lots of money on keeping the country going, but at, we've spent billions, literally billions on contracts, and we need to have clear accountability. And forensically, as a prosecutor, he should have been going through this contract after contract after contract and asking the questions which are now being asked in court, but he didn't. So do you, from your perspective, do you think some of those things smell a bit fishy? Of course they do. I mean, I, I've raised these going right back to July of last year, actually. You know, very, very early on, I was asking questions about these contracts, who was being given them, why were we spending this money? Uh, you know, I was talking to doctors who were telling me that some of the PPE that they were being given was not fit for purpose, that they were, you know, in some areas they didn't have PPE, in areas where they had PPE it wasn't fit for purpose, question marks about all sorts of procurement that went on at that stage. And it's not good enough to say, well, we were just, just desperate, so we asked the lady who did my eyebrows to come and get me my PPE. <laughs> no, I don't think so. And companies that hadn't been set up for more than a few months who had nothing on their balance sheets in terms of assets, we gave millions of pounds of contracts. So one company made 17 million in profit for a contract on goods they had never been involved in. I mean, what is this? This is hang on, scandalous. Hang on. Let me just say, political party face masks and visors is a legitimate enterprise. <laughs> And so these are the questions which the opposition should be asking, and, and you just, I, I, don't, I don't see it. Saida, it is always a pleasure to see you. It's really special to do this first show back with you in this wonderful venue. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the wonderful Saida Marcy! Well, there you go, Saeed Avasi. Always a lot of fun. The next episode will be the live recording of Andrea Ledsom, who was also brilliant. These have been such fantastic recordings. Such a pleasure for me to do. Brilliant to be back in front of a live audience. And, of course, the 2nd of June, which is tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening to this. And, of course, if it's past that date, tickets are no longer available. Um, but go to mattford.com slash live for all future tickets for future shows, which are now starting to return, which is great. Um, but yes, leave a review on iTunes, tell all your friends, tell the world through social media, just spread the word about the political party and that can be your small way of thanking me. And I'll see you soon. Ta-ra! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.